between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And unto this mass movement, destined to bear the jeweled crown of geekdom upon its troubled brow, it is we, mass movement's chroniclers, who alone can tell thee of its saga. Let us tell you of the days of geek adventure. Welcome to another Mass Movement Presents interview special. This time around, I got to talk to Israel Joseph I, the former Bad Brains and Meltdown singer, about his new solo record, Meltdown, and Ian Glasper, who is now playing in a band called Zero Again, and their new album, A Deep Appreciation of Suffering. So, let's start things off with Israel Joseph I. How are um, you, sir? I'm well, and yourself? Good man, good, good, good. Yeah. Sorry, um, man. I, 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 we had little technical difficulties, but uh, we figured it out. So it, we're all it, good. It now. always happens, brother. It always happens. Dude, your new record, Meltdown. Whoa, man. Oh That's, man. That is the record the Bad Brains have made after Rise. Seriously, oh. it's that good. Oh, thank you so much. I, oh, man, I can't. Are we recording now for the show? Or yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. Oh wow! I just really want to say thanks to you for saying that. That's that's amazing to hear. Um, that's amazing to hear. I, I've, I loved I've the record when I made it all week. Because and... the, the last time I saw you was when you were touring with the Bad Brains on the Rise Talks. You played Brixton Academy. Um, yes, unforgettable goats, show with Fishbone and, and, and the, the goat, Goats. Oh my and God! Dog, dog replaced propane. Yes, and there's a great magazine cover with uh, Angelo and myself and the rest of Fishbowl when I jumped in, and he's holding me literally over his head somehow, or I'm stage diving, and it's a great magazine cover that was out at that time. I always wish I could see it again. Great show. Can't but, forget about it. So, so Mark sends me the record, and I think, well, I'll play it. And I'm sat there listening. I'm like, wow. just just Because after Fireburn as well, yeah. just to hear you go back to doing – hardcore and play and, and real die-hard reggae it's just it's yeah it's yeah, the, the roots. About made after rise literally yeah you know keeping the roots uh of the hardcore keeping the roots of the reggae alive mm-hmm. and uh really bringing that to to the youth you know because a lot of the youth really are are not in contact with that as they as they could be or should be so i thought hey i'm one of the last I guess who can really create that sound. And I really love it. Uh, I talked with Todd about it before he passed rest in peace. Mm-hmm. And he was totally for it. In fact, Fireburn was moving in that direction. Right. So right. Um, had he not passed, maybe meltdown would have been a kind of uh, a, a, the Fireburn would have sounded like the meltdown album. But after he passed, it took me about a year and a half to get over that. I also mm-hmm. had some other things I was dealing with uh in in my personal life and suddenly i started hearing uh music the hardcore that's on that record and i i really recorded that in uh three three weeks maybe and uh after i listened to it a few times i found myself as he said listening to it over and over and over and over it's hard not to because it, it stops with uh the song punk's not dead and the way yeah. that stops it just it goes, okay, well, what was that? And it's like half an hour of just crazy punk and the way Now or Never starts. Uh, I think it just sounds like a 
freight train uh, coming down the side yeah. of a mountain. You know what I mean? So but, but I, it, I enjoyed it. It's just like, like I say, you, it picks up where Rise left off. I mean, it's not as metally as Rise and it's more, it, it's purer. I think in its intent, the rise, the rises, and it's just it, that's all I've literally had on all week. Because I mean, I wow. finished my job this week because I'm starting a new job next week. But it's literally while I've been finished up, that's all I've been listening to is meltdown, and it's wow, just been. I gotta share this record with you, man, because this is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that feels so good to hear, man. Uh, you've listened to a lot of music, a lot of the real punk, a lot of real hardcore your whole life, and for you to say that to me is. Yeah. Is a treasure, man. I'm, 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 I'm really, I'm honored by that, and I'm, I'm thankful. Want to take this opportunity, if I can, to just thank all the people <clears throat> that are listening to this album, that are reaching out and and buying it, and uh, supporting this uh, independent DIY punk hardcore punk album, and and all the good reviews. Just thankful for it. Just really it, happy about that. You're keeping it at a grassroots level as well, because it's all independent. I mean, you you played everything yourself. So yes. it was, it, I, I'm assuming it was recorded during lockdown in, in like 2020. Yes. Um, and it's it's literally a one man hardcore mission to bring that sound back. That's that's what it feels like to me. And it's, you know you are on <laughs> an insane mission to do it. So <laughs> one man Armageddon, huh? <laughs> exactly. exactly yeah. So so my question is, is are you, are you gonna are you gonna get a band to play the record with you and then tour you know, the record? Yeah. You know, I was surprised uh, that the record is complicated to play, right. and I, I was I was surprised at that because you know I've made a lot of music in my life, and um, uh, I thought like you know this record is is uh, I'm just going to make a, a punk album to the best of my ability. But when I found out that aspect of it. It was a nice surprise. It was like, wow, that's great. Like, it's wow, that's like, but then it was like, wow, like people, you know, it's it's hard to play, you know. So, um, so I uh, probably think the hardest job is the drummer's job. You know, it's very aggressive. Drums have to be like like Earl was in the '80s, Mackie was in the in the '90s. You know, these these type of drummers is who I, I I formed my teeth on these hardcore drummers. Thank God, like with the greatest, you know, and and uh, playing with Earl and Mackie, I think it's a blend between that type of style and and it's a lot of people that aren't really playing that kind of style. Um, so it's a combination of finding the right person to keep the drums going. Uh, once that happens, then everything else should fall in place. But I really haven't found uh, the combination yet. So I'm kind of uh, just making uh, more music and yeah. releasing this record out there. So at least there's something out there that people can people can groove to, you know, hardcore, some new hardcore that people can like and reggae too. So, I mean... Because Earl and Mackie both have a swing to their sound. It's not just about heart hitting. There's a, there's a there's a swing to what they do, and there's a there's a sort of beats, and that comes over in the records as well. It's, it's there's a there's, there is that sort of swing feeling to the to the drum beats. You know, it's not straight aggression. So yeah. I, I get where you're coming from with that with the drummer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, hardcore 
traditional hardcore. If, if it, yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, I'm I'm one of the last guys doing this, so I might as well tell the youth what's going on. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I might as well explain. Uh, if you don't mind, you know, it's 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 a weird temperature yeah, absolutely. Out here in LA. Yeah. We have uh, clouds and it's like cold and like I'm I'm like warm, but I'm taking on my jacket. But I, hey, it's cold. You know what I mean? It's chilly. So let me put the jacket back on. All right. So uh, the thing about hardcore is this. The, the old hardcore is different than the new hardcore and exactly what you're saying. And the rhythm, the rhythm, the pattern, the beat of the flow of the music. The old hardcore was wild, erratic, and had a really strong uh, backbeat. Uh, today, most of the hardcore is what the old hardcore used to call mosh, right? It's very... That's mosh. If you listen to a lot of the attitude when they break down in certain songs, like they they were creating that mosh. Right. Now mosh was around for metal too, from like Black Sabbath and stuff. That's where Daryl pulled a lot of his inspiration from Geezer Butler and these people. So uh, what I did, I went back to the old school, which, as I said, is a little wilder but has that steady beat and the difference is the old school is not mosh the beat for mosh would be right something like that or somewhere like that yeah but old school hardcore is the punk rock beat sped up so it's uh, now it's not played like that. It's but like, right? So that's how you play it, and that's the secret for the kids today. I want to share that with you because you know we're we're getting we're getting on, you know, and uh, these kids need to know the secrets of how to play hardcore. So part of it is the first foundation is you got to be able to put your your foot on that kick drum and make it go. Right. And the beat is wah, 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 and the snare is just going shh. Or it can go bah, 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 but it can mostly just and, uh, and then there's your stops and everything else. You know, you got to fill all those stops are like Earth, Wind and Fire. People don't listen to that, but you got to fill all those stops. Find all that notes and fill all those. That's your drums. Guitar is, you know, you have a lot of power chords going on in, in, in hardcore, the old hardcore, right? So the new hardcore is uh, incorporating some newer chords. But the old hardcore is just power chords, two, two fingers, because you're jumping around a lot. You're active. You're, but you still, that power, that old two-finger power chord has a lot of, it has a big sound to it. Right. So you need a three-piece. There's a lot of weight behind the power chords, it is, and you can get a lot of sound out, and you can, and it's easy enough to play. If you know what you're doing, so you've got the you can the energy from the music translates the physicality on stage. Yes, sir, and that's what's happening. So you use those power chords to your advantage. You, you fly all over the neck, create some. You know, it's nice when you go low and you go high because when you go up high in those power chords, it sounds like it's just what skater punk is made out of. The old school punk, you know, the Ramones. It just just play around with power chords, and then just root your bass. Don't play with your fingers. Old school punk rock is played mostly with a pick. The new school punk rock is played with your fingers or a pick sometimes, a heavy, thick pick. But uh, old school punk is uh, Daryl and these dudes, they play with a 72 Dunlop, you know, to be specific. And that's what I played with on that album. Uh, the, the guitar on the album is a 335, a, 
It's a big guitar. It's an Ibanez 335, uh, just like your old school punk rock dudes that used to play that and um, Chuck Berry and all them dudes. You know, it's a rock and roll guitar run through a Marshall. Um, and so it's got a real old school sound, which is what I wanted. I wanted it to sound like kids in a garage, people at CBGB, some album you picked up downtown and you never heard these this before, but it's blowing your mind. Or like the Attitude record, you know, like a, like, a, like the Attitude spirit it can never yeah. be Attitude. It's, it's like it's the Attitude is a genius. Sense. Attitude is a work of genius. It could never be Attitude, but it has got the same spirit. You know, it's got the same sort of sounds like that early Raucous record that was recorded with Don Furies. You know? it's just, it's just like wow, hits you, hits you, hits you, hits you, keeps hitting you, and that's yeah. just that's the way we like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, awesome. I mean, did you ever think at any point about returning to the Bad Brains, or was that ever an option? Did you did you guys ever talk about you maybe going back to do another record with them, or was that something that you haven't really thought about or wanted to move away from? Uh, for me personally, yeah. I don't see why there's anything. I I don't have any uh, issue against that stopping that or want not wanting that to happen. Right. I would I would love to see that happen. Uh really. Um you know, when we were together, we were the closest friends, you know. We were we were uh what you Rasta would call brethren. Brethren, right. really. It's the Bible's yeah. word brethren, <laughs> but with an accent, brethren, you know. So we were called brethren and we just rolled together every day and, and we created that album because we had a friendship, an instant friendship that sparked up. Right. Uh, they said, man, you like a, you know, you, you just like us, you know, you younger us, you know, and, and, um, we do be really, so I, I would, who wouldn't want to reconnect with that? You know what I mean? And, right. and, and, and recreate and, and get into that mode and, and create something else. Um, I don't know if, if, uh, people are, people are thinking that, uh, oh, you know, we would have to, um, remember that that rise is the is the standard maybe right. uh i don't think people are thinking that but you never know you know i mean i don't know i'm not thinking that if i if i got with the bad brains i think we would just forget our problems and create <clears throat> or forget the world i should say right. and create something so um unique musically and passionately that uh you know, people would feel that hardcore, you know, they would feel that, that intense um, uh, energy that we're trying to channel, that I'm channel trying to, or channeling on this new record. Uh, that energy is, is, like I said, based off that beat. Uh, it's an ancient beat. It's an ancient sound, you know. Um, it does, it has, a, 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 it calms the mind in a sense. But it also lifts spirits, you know, it lifts spirits. So I've always loved that sound. And uh, if I got back with the Bad Brains, that would probably be uh, where we where we go. You know, if, if in the beginning, in the 90s, it probably could have been this type of album for, you know, as opposed to Rise or instead of Rise. But Rise was a purposeful journey we took. We, we could have gone down you know, just made that right turn and said, <clears throat> right down the road of hardcore, you know what I mean? We could have done that next that next record that, that just would have been. But I think that 
and it was said to me that, uh, hey, you know, we want to try and do something um, present of where we are now. We got all these other type of melodies and hearing all these other types. And if you listen to Rise, it's it's like that. It's a musical journey. Right. It's a concept record, really. I, I wrote, like, for my part, we've all wrote the record, but for my lyrics and my melodies and my ideas, for the concept of the album, it's just like a daytime. You know, the sun rises in the morning and, uh, you know, peace of mind at the end of the day. And everything else is a struggle in between that. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like the sun is in the morning coming. So the album is like based like that, too, like that kind of cosmic thing that is like, but it's the sun in yourself too. The, the rising in yourself. Of course, that's the most important. That's what the lyrics are really about. From a kid who had to rise, from a kid who came from a foreign land and was lost and was like, whoa, you know what I mean? I had to rise in myself. And then we had to rise as a band and everything. I looked at society and I thought, what could I write? You know, and I looked at what was going on in 1992 and before that. And I, the, the word that came was rise, you know, so, yeah, I would yeah. love to get back with them. I would love to have a uh, get back with them and make a, a record, of course. Yeah. Because, I mean, Meltdown, one of, the, one, one of the things that comes to is the overwhelming positivity of the record. It, it has that PMA from beginning to end. There's no sort of let's get way down in negativity. It's almost like this is what we could be if we we try. And lyrically, it's just it, it carries on that sort of legacy that you left with Rise. Do you know what I mean? Yes. You, 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 you pick yes, where you left. Where you left off yes. There. Well, you know, I've always tried to be that kind of artist where uh, I don't write about uh, my personal feelings. Like, mm -hmm. I have I grew up on artists that did that, and I appreciate that, and I love that, and I've sang their songs, you know, in my radio, you know, my stereo, you know, I'm singing. But for me, personally... I always had this um, philosophical attachment to Bob Marley, right? And right, and other people that gave their voice, even like Bono and U two, you know. I mean, a lot, uh, like you know, I mean, I mean, serious. Like Bono was, he was really out there with what he was saying, you know what I mean? In the eighties, whether you like it or not, you know what I mean? He was, he was making statements, and I really, I checked for Bono in the eighties. I checked for different people that had a voice in rap of course rap i was listening to hardcore hip-hop so i wasn't listening to yo we can get flashy and dressy mm -hmm. i was listening to get your mind together and you know like like all that stuff yeah chuck that was going public on enemy that. who are making a statement and saying this is what we can be let's not you know stereotype anything let's be you, the best versions of ourselves of human beings yeah and so this has been always been my quest and also that whole to break that racial barrier that used to really exist in the old days that people right. may not recognize today as much, but hey, it, it used to be real. And I was on a mission to break that, to say, hey, you know, let's unite, let's get together. And Rasta was right, really in with that message. What I saw of the old Rasta people before me, you know, like Bob and all those people, and what I was in creating in my mind 
was a united world of, of people understanding each other, not having to lose who they are or lose their culture, but understanding that, hey, we're all upright walking human beings here. You know, if you look, take a look around, everybody else is on four legs and eight legs and six legs and <laughs> wings. And we're the only ones like this, you know, take a look. We're team human here, people. So it doesn't matter. We look all different. The animals are looking at us like, hey, you guys are all the same. It doesn't matter who you think you are. Yeah. Uh, the rest of creation is looking at us like you are the upright walkers. So the upright walkers need to need to unite. And I've always felt this way. And that's what Rise is really about. The album is conceptually about that, about seeing a better world, seeing a better place, man, seeing a better place for people, for myself, for everybody, you know, but just for everybody, for all of us. Because it's like, do you mind if we talk about Firebirth, man? Because that band was when it was announced that you were you were working with Todd Youth. It's like a a dream project, you know. You got like one of the, the the main instigators of the whole New York hardcore sound. They do play with Agnostic from Murphy's Law. He went through these bands. He learned his trade the hard way, you know. And yes, he, sir. And he dedicated himself to it. And then you guys team up, and you have this spiritual energy and this positivity, and it just felt like this is going to be the beginning of something awesome. And then that EP comes out, drops, and everything is literally across the board. Excuse my French. Holy shit, this is. Something special, yes. And then awesome. Todd got got taken from us, and it's just felt like, oh, you know, what could have been? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it was horrible that Todd, as you said, got taken from us, and um, you know, we, I, I, I happened to go to a uh, an art exhibit that uh, Daryl Jennifer had in L.A. And Todd was there, didn't say anything to me, but sent me an email weeks later saying, hey, I got some songs. You want to check these out? And uh, it was a little more you know, friendly than that, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a, a long story short. You know, and so I, I, I did and I was absolutely I was blown away. You know what I mean? I, I heard these demos that he was these ideas that he had, you know. And one of those ideas uh, was Suspect, the song that became Suspect. Yeah. And so we took that into the studio with the band, man, and we instantly had a camaraderie. We instantly had a deep brotherly love friendship that grew and grew and grew. And uh, things are meant to be. I've, I've always kind of, I'm like the guy that kind of like checks for what the river is bringing more so going into the river like mm -hmm. actually meltdown probably the first time in my whole career that i've actually splashed into the water and like made my own like nets and stuff like that you know i've always like checked the river you know what i mean and todd was one of those people sailing by and and it was like yes this is the right thing because we got this we got this energy. So he had this music. He had this boat he was building. And I and I helped him finish the boat by going to the studio. And we really got elevated when all four of us got together. Because, you know, once the lyrics hit, it becomes different, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So we were able to finish uh, the EP. And we heard it and we loved it. You know, we thought this is the hardest punk rock, hardcore punk that I've heard, like, I've, I'm, like I've, I don't even say it, you know what I mean? Like, I've, I've, that I've heard in a long time, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, this is, like, insane. So I remember when we were first playing some of those songs, <laughs> I 
I just got up and I was like banging on the studio wall, like, like, <laughs> like, man, dude, this is. So we knew we had something special and we recorded the EP. What's unfortunate though is the 14 or so songs I have sitting in my, in my uh, cell phone that people have never heard. Well, yeah, there's a whole album. Are they, are, they, are they recorded or are they just demos or are they? There's a whole album sitting in my phone and what they are, Todd Youth and myself for 60 or 70% of it. And the rest of it's the band uh, uh, playing these songs and me singing the lyrics over them. And they're recorded with drums and bass. Some of them are drum machines because Todd was doing them. Right. the bass and sending them to me but we go into the studio and set up the mic over Todd's music and I'd sing over the track the, the lyrics that I wrote you know and those would be what we would work with the band with you know so those those tapes exist of the whole of, of uh, Battleground, Destiny all these songs that we wrote for the record 14 and probably a couple more extra, extra there and so maybe one day we'll I'll release or somehow we will uh, release those songs I'll, so people can hear them because I, I think would, they're the I most would, fierce I would things. I love ever. to hear those songs because that that EP is just mind-blowingly good. And again, it, it, it comes back to meltdown because it, you it's almost like Fireburn ignited that passion in you again. And you just go, I'm take I'm you know Todd might have fallen by the wayside, but I can pick this band up and I can run with it and this is what you've done almost yeah I I had um if I I should I should put these out too when I when I it, it was funny what was happening in 2016 uh, I think I spoke about this on an interview last year uh, I started hearing uh, uh, metal in my head metal music first right. but it was like you know, the kind of metal music that you, like I said, like you would stand on a mountain and like you're dressed in like armor and you're like going, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. I'm telling yeah. you, but I started hearing that, like Judas Priest, you know, like that kind of right. thing, like Judas Priest on a mountain, you know, and I, <laughs> with Thor standing behind him, you know, and that's what I started hearing. And I started singing that stuff, like, just like, you know, under my breath, having a laugh at it and a joke at it and singing, but like being like, this stuff is great. I love this stuff, but uh, singing and having a little fun. And then I started writing some lyrics and shortly thereafter, what was metal started pumping in as uh, hardcore. Right. And I hear music in my head. I can't explain that. It just, it's, Sometimes I sit still and it's just playing after, like when I was before, when I was there, I used to look to make sure it wasn't radio, you know. But like I hear, I get used to it now, you know. So it's like, it's like, it's like form of synesthesia. So it, it, it appears fully formed there. And that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or the ideas appear, form of the feelings right. appear. And and you know what can trigger it too, just as a side note, like if I'm sitting someplace and a, and a, and a machine, like I say, a ceiling fan is where, like the, the sonics, I think, triggers like notes. I hear the sonics as notes. My brain is saying, yeah, that's E sharp, that's D, and it's turning right. it into songs. Sometimes I can sit in deep meditation, bro, and I can hear like a whole 20 minutes of the most, the only thing I can compare it to is fishbone. There's horns and there's 
oh man, there's everything going on. If I could just take that and put it out. Right. But anyway, uh, what was I talking about? Talking about Justin Armour. Yeah. So I started hearing this punk and I took it to Todd. And, I, and, and when we got together, I played it for Todd. And what I had done is I had only played it on acoustic guitar. Uh, at that point, but they were all uh, had songs called. I had a song called "Gas Mask," and it was like uh, that was right after Fukushima melted down, like a couple of years after that. Right. I wrote this song called "Gas Mask" about the Atlantic Ocean, <laughs> and uh, I was writing like getting these ideas together, you know. And um, Todd listened to those ideas, which is really cool, and he said, "Yo, these are." super hardcore like he has a different style of writing very hardcore but he's he's a musician so he's you know and he liked my very rudimentary style of writing you know and uh, he said he's a super hardcore so when we finished writing uh these three projects we did we were heading into the studio and some of this stuff was going to be what i was writing and was going to be on a new record that never happened no. So Todd died and it took me about a year and a half to get over that. And like I said before, man, that's when I picked up and started writing all new songs. Actually, I, I, I was hearing the music again, you know, it, it was really like becoming too much. And that's how albums get done for me. Whatever solo records you see, I have, it's because it got to be too much. Right, and that's and why come, you know, it needed to come out, and it needed to to find its own voice. You're right. right. It needed to be pr in print, or or it's going to like I'm going to die. <laughs> it needs to be put out and and finished, so I can at least have something ex beside my brain rocking these songs. And so I, I sat down one day. I took a week off from work. I was like, uh, I was due that a long time, and it was good. So it was like, okay, have have that, and I said, all right, this is my opportunity. And I sat down and it, I, I went back to work the next week, but I kept recording at nighttime. I would right. get home and at six, I kept sort of recording it. I'd, I'd mix till three in the morning and go to work and be like, oh, you know, but I finished it. And it was a great experience because I wasn't trying. I was just wanting to get home and, and, and do these songs. And, right. uh, I, what I do is I write the music first. I'll write the drums first. The drums are first. Um, because I hear the guitar parts in my head. I hear at least the feeling or at least the sound I'm going for, or at least the, the kind of thing I'm going for, which may not always be the ultimate thing, but it's the kind of thing. And so I write the drums to that beat because there's a tempo in my head. So if there's a tempo, then I can write the drums. So it's the right. You know, the drums are written out. Once I get the drums done and they're rocking, then I'll switch to the other tracks, which is for the other instruments. And that is when I try to, like, if I'm hearing something like, 
That's easier to play than if I'm hearing. That's harder to play than the than the first one. So the first one I'll get perfectly. I can do that perfectly. You know, that's what I mean. And that's bad too. That's like and that's that's some that's some like some motorhead type heavy heaviness. The other one, what I would do is I try to. That's like um, crisis. That's like crisis. That that's what was happening in my head. So maybe if you heard what was in my head, it'd be a little bit different. But crisis is what. So that's basically how it is. And then when that's done, I drop the bass lines. I say, all right, that's E, D, whatever, G. Drop the bass line, which is difficult for me. I never did rock and roll bass line before this record. I always did reggae bass lines. But all I did was I said, you know what? Have a little faith. Take those reggae sensibilities, you know, and take a pick and play it. Play those those bass lines. And I got it like... (laughs) I was like, I got this. This is like, this is like, okay, I understand this. I really, I played it like a guitar. I was like strumming the bass like a guitar a lot of times. I realized that's what that's what Daryl and all those guys are doing anyway, you know. Um, so what I'll do then is I'll wait, you know, and I won't do any vocals because I don't have any vocal ideas. The songs are new, and that's how I like to record. The songs are brand new. So that night, they'll be finished. And then I might wait a day or two days later. And then I'll come back and I'll take the headphones. In those two days, I might mix the song so it sounds good. Like mixing, 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 so all everything sounds great. I won't sing any vocals. And then after that, a day or two after that, I'll come back and I'll set a mic up. And I'll set everything up and ready everything so that it's perfectly ready. And then what I'll do is I'll just chill and I'll maybe, you know, like I, I don't do anything else, but I smoke a little herb, you know what I mean? Here, yeah. a, little, a little ganja. So maybe I might hit a little ganja and then I sit down and I put the headphones on and I press play. And you know how new that is? Like when you, when you just do something real quick, yeah. you know, and like you, you mix it, make it sound. It's new to me. And so I'm the singer now. I'm not the instrumentalist now. Now I've turned myself into the singer and it's like I'm a little bit, you know, elated by the herb. And so I start writing. And this record didn't call for the Israel Josephs of previous records. This record, I wanted it to be a punk rock album because right after, right before I started listening, I started listening to started plant making this in the middle of 2020 to the beginning, I found this old California, LA, Southern California's Orange County garage punk bands from the late sixties. All right? right. On YouTube. And I really started listening to that stuff and thinking, man, this is like proto punk. This is very interesting. You know, these guys are really, guys going for it, man. And uh, it wasn't surf music. It was rock and roll played like, Played like protopunk. And that really, uh, I guess, came out unintentionally as the vocals because the minute I heard these songs, I didn't hear uh, Rise. I heard exactly what I sang like, you know, this is this is what it, it brought out of me. Right. And uh, this is how I like to do my records, man. Um, everything you hear is a, is, a, is a true version of myself at that point in time.
So talk about the record because it's self-released. How can people get it? There's a you got a Bandcamp. Where can they with the physical? Because I know it's on Spotify, it's on Amazon Music, it's on Apple Music. It's it the record's there. But for us old school folks, as old school punk rockers, where can we get the physical copy of the record? Yes, yes, great question. So it, you know, stateside in America, mm-hmm. um, you can get them right through me. Right. Uh, if you DM me on Facebook or Instagram, you you know, message me on there. You can simply tell me uh, what version you want. You know, there's a, a red and black splatter version. That's a red vinyl, uh, classic black vinyl version. And uh, if you want it signed, you know, whatever, you tell me what you want. And uh, the prices are are pretty. So what's that prices? It's a contribution towards supporting the art artists on the art uh, listed. On the sides there, you choose one you want, just like a menu. And uh, basically, when you do that and you message me about that, I take care of it for you. Um, I wrap it up. If you want it signed, I autograph it and dedicate it to you and uh, sign it up. Put it in a box and mail it off right to you. It's been done quite a few times so far for this record, so I'm really happy about the real grassroots DIY type mailing system that's happening with this record and people getting it that way. That's one way you can get it. It's starting to get into record stores. There's one at uh, in Arlington, Virginia at uh, Right On Records. There's some out here at places like Program Skate and Sound in Riverside and uh, you know some, uh, Revolution Records here on Melrose uh, in Hollywood. Uh, and uh, Rubicon Records as well on Santa Monica Boulevard. There's a few few record stores that are carrying this album. So, um, you know, basically get it through me, though. If you're in Europe, you're going to want to go online. Uh, there is a website devoted to it over at uh, Rotator Vinyl. Uh, you can look up uh, Peter Jones on Facebook. Uh, Peter Jones was actually from... He was the one who did the, uh, the pressing of the vinyl, that yeah. Rotator vinyl, which is great. So I want to big up Rotator. My maximum respect, Peter, from Ireland, Dublin, <laughs> dubbing, Dublin. No, man, Dublin, Ireland, Dublin, big up, enough respect, love you. And uh, Peter Jones did this. And also in London, you know, you had... Uh, uh, Paul Stone over in uh, London helped with the art. He did the fire in the back and laid out the lyrics and, you know, did a very, very amazing job on uh, the uh, taking the original artwork and, and, and making it come to life with you know, the, the, the font and the letters. Uh, just as a side note, but uh, if you're living in Europe, you can get it on that website from Peter Jones from from uh, Rotator Vinyl. Okay, and that's that's uh, a good thing. Otherwise, it's it's just been out for a few weeks. Uh, it's making its way out there in the world. So look forward to seeing it over in other countries in the, in the uh, months to come. Uh, I hope that you guys can uh, make a little demand for it, and I'll get it there as uh, as best as I can. I'll ship it directly. Dude, I just want to thank you for your time tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to talk to you. And it's been a pleasure to be here. And I thank you. And I thank everyone watching. Thank you so much, you guys. And uh, if you can pick up the record, I'd appreciate it and support an independent artist like myself. Guys, thanks so much. Blessings. Thank you, brother. Have a good night.
too. Next up, it's Ian Glasper talking about his new band Zero again and his new book about the subhumans. So, without further ado, here's Ian. Hello, mate. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you keeping there, bud? Yeah. Yeah, not bad, thank you. Not bad. I nearly forgot. I'm terrible for these Zoom meetings in the evening. I started watching a bloody documentary on folk horror. Right. Thinking, right, I've got a meeting in half hour. <laughs> and like 29 minutes later, I'm immersed in the Wicker Man or whatever it was. And I thought, shit. <laughs> have, you seen, have you seen that documentary on Lovecraft on Amazon Prime? No. You should do, mate. It's really, really good. Really, really yeah, good. I don't, don't think I've seen that one. This is called In the Darkest Woods or something. It's on Shudder and it's three and a half hours of folk horror films. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, see that channel could have been purpose made for you, Shudder. It's like somebody's made the channel for Glassboard. Like, what's it going to be? I, what's the channel for Slug? Oh, it's called Shudder, mate. It's all about horror. It's all horror non-stop, like all, all obscure horror. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've been keeping, man, because you got your your book and the new, and the new band's album are both out in like the same month. Yeah, yeah, it's a coincidence, but yeah, it feels like it's feels like I'm more productive than I am. <laughs> Because they've both been in the works for a long time and they've both landed about the same time, but them's the breaks, aren't they? So we've got to talk about Zero again because this is because the band just seems to come from out of nowhere and it always seems like you're in one band or another and then all of a sudden Zero again pops up and it's almost like a UK sort of hardcore super group because there's you, there's Glenn, there's Payne, you know, it's like. How did this come together? Like, what was the ge- the genesis of the band? Who's idea? Genesis. Well, the genesis of it was I was stood next to Glenn at a Subhumans gig in Cardiff. Right. Just before lockdown, if I remember rightly. So it would have been just before COVID. And War Wound had just split up. Um, and I said to him, you know, I'm going to do this band called Zero again. I'd had the name in my head for a while. Right. Um, being a Peni fan and also because I want, you know, I wanted to, you know, really go back to, to basics as it were and do a band with no expectation, like start from the beginning, which is kind of why it was right. like zero again. And um, I didn't know what it's going to sound like. It was just going to be weird and maybe slower than war wound. Glenn was obviously playing flat out high speed stuff all the time in Grand Collapse and we were just talking and we said look well let's do something a bit slower like really um, and then the pandemic came along kind of got put on the back burner a little bit but um, I started recording some home demos at one of my friends houses when I shouldn't have been I should have been socially distancing but I was in his basement <laughs> making music and um, sending them around and we we started talking to Dean about doing vocals mm-hmm. and I sent him uh, one of these these demos and he sent me back he must have just grabbed like a microphone and did it on his did it on his phone in his front room like to this demo and it sounded great it was like oh, okay this is what it could sound like then with the right vocals on it um and then I I messaged Paul Payne yeah never never thinking that he'd do it because he's he was already in two bands and i thought you know there's a limit to what anyone can do as regards number of bands 
And um, you don't know Peñol that well, do you? Because he, yeah, yes. he, he would just play music all the time, like. So I said to him, like, do you happen to know anyone who might want to play guitar on this? And I think I might have sent him one of the demos. And he messaged me straight back and said, I, I'd be interested. I was like, okay, we're there then. Let's go. Like, so I went and into Peñol's and we started jamming some stuff and it was it sounded you know pretty it came together really quick from there it was a really good chemistry between us all in fact, you start... I think we we wrote 13 songs in about three months and recorded them during the, the break in between lockdowns right so we recorded the first two eps during that break between lockdowns and that's how quickly it came together and was ready to record and then that was quite good because that served us in good stead then because whilst, you know, most other bands weren't doing anything, these EPs were at the pressing plant. Sorry, mate. The... Right. You there, bud? Because then I might have a crap connection. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. So it's just fine. So the EPs are at the pressing plant and now... And that which brings us sort of to the album because you you just be playing nonstop because every time you look at like, your social media, there's the four of you grinning and from like the seats on some plane flying off to somewhere else, like saying, "Ta-ta, we're off!" Like, yeah, we're off, we're off, we're <laughs> off this Thursday to Germany. <laughs> so it's, it's like Thursday, just a one-off. Are you are you doing them in like section dates? So you know, there's like two or three shows here, two or three shows there, two or three shows there. It's, that's how we tend to do it. So we're playing three gigs this weekend: two in Germany and one in Poland. Right. Um, and then we haven't got anything else booked or confirmed anyway overseas um, after that. But we've got we got lots of offers to go back to Poland and Czech Republic and Romania and Western Europe and all sorts. So it's, it's really just finding the time. Um, and we can go out and gig as much as we like, really. I mean, we, you know, there were fears about, oh, you know, what's Brexit going to do to you know touring punk bands it don't do anything if you're under the radar <laughs> you know <laughs> if you don't have to get the visas and go do it all official you can do whatever the hell you like yeah you know? yeah i mean we're we're a punk band like we don't need permission to go and play a gig <laughs> <laughs> but it's this it's, it's weird because it's like the stuff we've been doing all our all of our lives like doing it underneath the radar doing it diy and people are saying, well, Brexit's going to knacker everything. Well, not for us. Like, nothing nothing pretty much changes in that respect because yeah. we've never actually done anything properly as it should be done with all the yeah. paperwork anyway, you know? We've never made any money. So, we know, no. you know, it's like, it would be different if we were shopping. I mean, for like the subhumans, for example, when they go, yeah. go to the States, they're so big and they get so many people at their gigs and they sell so many T-shirts. They've got no no other you know no other option but to do it above board and declare it and get the visas and everything like that but you know the thing is the visas would would kill a band like us i mean we barely break even anyway yeah the visas are like five grand now aren't they they're something ridiculously expensive yeah yeah i mean uh, we haven't really looked into the states yet but you know you will we'll get round to it definitely so you you see this as a long term thing, so it's not like a short term thing, like thirty six strategies or any other bands. Well, see them, see them all as long term at the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, thirty six strategies was was a band until it wasn't. Like you know, it was you never know 
quite what's around the corner and that felt to get that fell apart really quickly mm. um just because of personalities and just like a toxic kind of uh sort of atmosphere in the band you know um but at the moment you know zero again feels you know it's you you always say it it's like oh this is my favorite band but i guess it always is because it's what you're doing right now you're creating yeah. music right now you're writing lyrics and you know that means stuff to you right this minute so you know but we're i mean we're really prolific i mean we write really quick so we've you know the album's not out yet and we're halfway through writing the next record See, I that that just amazes me because it's like we've got to write more songs, we've got to write more songs, we've got to write more songs. But at the same time, it kind of isn't surprising knowing Glenn and knowing Payne and knowing how they operate, how they work, because they're continually on the go as people, and they're both really easy going anyway. So it's not like there's not going to be any. I would imagine there's no clash of egos. No, there's not. Yeah, that's it. Everybody seems on the same page, Hmm. you know, Um, and we've all sort of you know slotted into a role because in a band you're you know you're always more than just the bassist or the guitarist or whatever yeah. you know there's certain things you bring to the table whether it's booking gigs or arranging you know car hire or putting records and envelopes or whatever everybody's going to do something aren't they yeah um you know and it it just seems a really nice plus we're all um you know, we've all been around the block a few times, like, so it's, yeah. you know, we know the, we know the drill. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you come with this fresh face, do you have any expectation of, you know, well, we're, yeah. we're going to sell X amount of records because, you know, that's what bands do, because you you know what it's like, you know how hard it is to get out there and shovel the records out. And when, cause what, because you, how was the pre-order on the LP? Because I know it's nearly gone, like the vinyl's just about done, isn't it? Well, really, we only, really like, we, we grabbed um i think we grabbed 150 copies of it yeah and sold them in 24 hours so see we that, pretty that, with that that is really good going you know especially yeah, with, yeah. at the moment like it's just yeah that's we're, insane we're pleased with that i mean that scientists are only pressing 500 to start with and we had 10 percent for free and then we said look we need it at least another hundred copies off you. Right. Um, so we sold them pretty much straight away. And um, I think we've done 300 CDs as well, because we didn't think CDs would sell so well, but we sold hundred of them in <laughs> about 24 hours as well. <laughs> and uh, the CD's got, um, it's got 16 album songs on there. It's got 14 bonus tracks on it. So it's got right. the three, three EPs and a track off a compilation and the Peni cover we did and an unreleased track. So it's like a discography CD, really, 30 songs. Uh, so up till now, like a discography up till now, up to this point, because you've got, you, it's obviously because you're writing the, the next record, it's not going to be a complete discography. It won't be the discography for long. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, 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 there's more to come. So a deep appreciation of suffering. Where's the title come from? Uh, Again, it was just a title I had buzzing around in my head. Um, it's yeah, it's very much an animal rights sort of record from you know from a, the point of view of the cover art and the and the title. And I think vegans, vegetarians, you know, we do have a deep appreciation of 
the suffering of other sentient beings, you know. Yeah. But, you know, when I was younger and really sort of militant and idealistic and everything about animal rights, I mean, it used to keep me keep me up at night thinking about, you know, the, the hands that these animals have been dealt in, you know, abattoirs and vivisection laboratories and stuff like that. And um, so, yeah, that's that's where it comes from. It's it's all about man's inhumanity to to animals, really. And, and then Mid came up with the cover art. We just gave him a really, a really vague sort of um, concept. It was basically like, do something fucking dark. <laughs> <laughs> You, know, so you just said you said to me, do something fucking dark, and he's yeah. like, "Well, that's so out of my wheel." I was like, "You know what I mean?" It made yeah. thrives on dark, mate. It's just yeah. We said do something dark and twisted that, you know, and we sort of maybe hinted at temples of flesh and ruined sort of bodies yeah. and stuff, and you know, he just did his thing, like. So, uh... so yeah, that's where it comes from. There's also that sort of Barker element to it as well, because he conjures up images of Hellraiser. So you knowing your love of the dark side of horror and that sort of thing, that that it also brings that to mind. Do you know what I mean? Well, we it's interesting actually because I mean, someone called us a folk horror band. You know, I said I was watching a documentary on folk yeah. horror, and it wasn't because we sound like Skyclad or anything like that. I think it was because it's just a bit uncomfortable. You know, it's a bit unnerving so we definitely wanted um we wanted elements i mean a lot of them is we don't just sing about animal rights i mean we yeah. sing about political stuff and you know a lot of the stuff that you know punk bands typically sing about police brutality and government corruption and institutional racism and everything like that and um but we also like look deep into the abyss you know like contemplating our own mortality and stuff certainly i do anyway because i'm of an age i mean perhaps glenn doesn't contemplate his own mortality quite as much as i do but he's a lot younger than me but you know there's there's that element of you know it's it's quite quite morbid and dark and downbeat um not on purpose but that's just you know i guess we're we're all a bit you know, depressive as individuals, I suppose, as well. A bit melancholic. See, this is what I meant to ask you. How did you find turning 50? Because, like, you've got a few years on me, right? Even though you still look fucking younger than I do, and you always have looked younger than I do. <laughs> How did you find turning 50? I found it all right, you know. Um, I don't... I think maybe 40 was a bit more an eye-opener, you know. Right. But 50 and I think 60 and that is just they're just numbers, aren't they, really? I don't think, you know, I certainly didn't have a party or anything or celebrate it. I didn't really <laughs> feel like it was anything to celebrate. But I didn't wake up on my 50th birthday feeling like I turned a corner and it was I was depressed about it. But I tend to stifle and and run away from like some of my emotions by just keeping busy right so you know i i keep really active and then i don't think about stuff too much because i ain't got time to <laughs> so it might be it might be i'm pushing it all to one side and repressing it for saving it for a rainy day like 
<laughs> and yeah, you wandered in some post office with, with like a bunch of knives and, and axes and stuff. See, because it, it was the opposite for me. I just feel more comfortable in my own skin now, I guess, as I've got older than I ever yeah, did yeah. when I was younger. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, you do. You know your own mind, don't you? Yeah. And you know what you're prepared to put up with and, you know, what what you'll just walk away from and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, no, I won't be shooting up a, off like, you know, I would just sit down and write some, write some songs, right? <laughs> so, but I think the fact you know physically, is it harder to get out there and play the same sort of shows that you always played when you were younger? Because you you oh, you've, yeah, yeah. you've never been like, I'm just going to stand here and play the music. It's always been you know, oh look, Glasper's Glasper's not in the air. Is he feeling all right? Like because you know, if you're not five feet off the ground while you're playing, yeah, I ain't I ain't you know, I, I, I ain't bouncing around anymore. It's <laughs> been a while. It's like my ankles and knees are shot shot yeah. to shit. Um, but also, you know, I mean, it was stamping ground, really. The music lent itself. I mean, it was, you know, that band was almost like a, we were almost like a sports team. <laughs> you know, we, we would like um, warm up and cool down and it was like full on physical, right. um, you know, and the music just seemed to demand that. Um, but then, you know, 36 Strategies was a different band. Suicide Watch was a different band. I mean, that was too technical to jump around. You had to concentrate on what you were playing. But, you know, War Wound, you know, the it was, you know, that was a punk band. And um, although you, we did throw ourselves around a little bit, you know, but it almost feels like it would cheapen what we're trying to achieve with this band if if I was bouncing up and down in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. in shorts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll still be in shorts, but I won't be bouncing up and down because I mean you know you bounce up and down you know you're full of youthful energy don't you and I ain't full of youthful energy anymore <laughs> it's full of bitterness <laughs> and rage <laughs> it's like you, you mentioned before that the band had picked up like the, the sort of folk horror tag because people found the music slightly uncomfortable but surely that's part of what you should be doing and challenging push yourself to do anyway because music should be challenging and uncomfortable and make people think anyway yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's if we didn't have something of of note, you mm. know, to say and play, you know, if it, if we just thought we we're just going through the motions and not really with nothing to offer, um, I don't think we we bother really. I mean, the quality control is set pretty high. Right. You know, Glenn, myself, Painey. Well, none of us deem none of us will, would let something slip through that was like you know, major chord progressions and things like that, you know, it's, <laughs> we don't want any chinks of sunlight, <laughs> you know, breaking through, the, breaking Break, through. But Yeah, it's, it's, it's darkness or nothing all the way. Yeah, without it being darkness for the sake of it, if you know what yeah. I mean. I think we're not very, um, you know, I, I, we've never had a conversation about what the band should sound like. Right. You know, it's always been um, just see what, comes out really and you know I write these kind of weird bass lines which are sort of probably like the starting point you know I play them to Paul and then Paul never plays along with the bass which is great he always plays around it and goes off on tangents and you know you've got something that you think oh yeah this is gonna sound like this 
and then you take it to practice and Glenn puts a beat behind it that you just weren't expecting and it sounds completely different you know probably most of the songs when I start writing them I think oh yeah that's going to be like a it's going to be like rudimentary Pino if you just listen to the bass line on its own right. um it's very rare it sounds sounds the way you you envision it really you know and then Dean does exactly the same you know he takes the sort of lyrics and um puts them in in weird and wonderful ways and interprets them in different ways and you know so it's it's a really good chemistry but it's not it's not forced it's not contrived in any way like you know we don't say right in actual fact it's almost like right we've got a new song what's going to happen what's going to what's going to come out so i mean you know if people have heard, heard the, the whole album there's a couple of um yeah, there's a couple of surprises on there you know once upon a time some of us might have shied away from putting some of the songs on there we've been like oh no it doesn't fit into this you know blinkered focused channel right. of what this band should sound like it's all on the table you know there's there's no there's nothing we wouldn't give it a go to see what it sounds like but when the four of us play together we've got certain sound and style if you know what I mean so yeah I guess everybody says this about every band they're in don't they we're the most original band ever but <laughs> you know we don't think we are but I think we have got something that's interesting but it's it's, it's out of the wheelhouse what I'd expect you to do do you know what I mean it's it's not what I would expect yeah. you to do it's not what I would expect Glenn to do it's not what I would expect Payne to do so that makes it challenging that makes it more interesting to listen to yeah, it makes the more, it more the, more you, the more you pull out of it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think, um, you know, Glenn's often said, you know, he, I mean, he's written a book on playing fast. He, you know, it's nice for him to lay down something really slow and off yeah. beat, and, you know, and um, it's just fun to be able to do, you know, whatever you want, you know. And Payne is in two other bands and he writes all the, the riffs for those bands i think and um clearly he doesn't want to be in three bands that sound the same does he no, you know, no so paul is know, one of those it's... weird guitarists that come out of your oh, like left field because you never expect him to be as consummate and professional as he is you know because you, you don't you know paul from standing at the bar proper at the bar and talk about conflict all night you know paul from yeah. like bouncing around the and then when you put a guitar in his hand, he becomes an entirely different entity. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's really, really, really creative. Mm. Yeah, I'll just play a riff and he'll jam around with it. And he likes to hear where the, figure out where all the notes are. Mm. And then he just takes it somewhere completely different, like, you know, which is really refreshing. Because I think this band would, you know, in the hands of a, a sort of more conventional guitarist who just, so the bass and the the guitars and the drums were all locked together playing the same riff. Right. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be anywhere near as interesting as it, as it is. So what's uh, what's I, the reaction? I, I, so I was going to say I'd, I'd probably go as far as to say, you know, this probably sounds like it's it's like a sensationalist thing to say, but yeah. I can't imagine the band without these four people in it. If you know what I mean. Well, that's what makes it work. Yeah, it wouldn't yeah. work the same way without 
the people no. who were there. You know. Yeah. So what's the reaction to the album been like so far? Because you know, I'm one of these. I'm, I, see, I'm like one of the few guys that had the whole album yet. I blame uh, Gamage. I blame Gamage. Don't worry. Don't. I'll put it on I, it's obviously David's fault. We, we'll always blame Gamage for everything. It's easy to get. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been the re- response has been brilliant. I mean, um, it's Dean's first album actually because he's mm. only ever recorded EP, so he was, you know, waiting with trepidation for the first sort of review to land, and. Um, yeah, we you know we were really really pleased with the the response. You know, someone said it was the best debut album, one of the best debut albums they've ever heard. I'm thinking, whoa, Easy Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> There's some pretty good debut albums out there. Mate, you have a lot of hand jobs to hand out if that's the case. Like, you know, <laughs> but seriously, I mean, you know, it's yeah. just absolutely brilliant. If people take anything from it, I'm thrilled. But if they really like it. Um, I, I mean, the response to the EPs was really good, and the response to the live gigs, you know, that's really good as well. And again, it's very, you know, it's it's um, it's, you know, it's unconsidered. We just, you know, just clamber up onto the front of the stage and grab our guitars and and play. play. You know, there's no there's no intro music or backdrops or thinking about what we look like or what we're going to say we just get up and jam the set out right you know well, that's, that's yeah. the thing cause I, I think because you said you know you you're all old hands at doing it there is nothing to prove you don't have to think we've got to go out and prove this or we you know we have to live up to this expectation because you just want to do what you want to do and it seems yeah, yeah. like you found the creative output the perfect creative output for doing that with the band well, we and we genuinely don't care whether people like us or not, as well. You know, no. that's that's the least of their worries, really. Is if someone says, "Oh, I don't think your album's any good," I'd be like, "I'm great." <laughs> at least, <laughs> at least you've got an opinion on it. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't. We, you know, we li- we really did write this record for us. You know, to, to, you know, just for yeah. the fun of writing, making music in a rehearsal room, like. Um, but if people like it, that's, you know, that's really good. But, you know, it's when we play the songs live, I mean, we we played with Voivod and we're thinking, is this going to go over with like a metal audience? Having said that, the Voivod audience isn't a typical metal audience, is it? Cause <laughs> Not at all. I was going to say, no, if you're you, going to go yeah. with any metal band, Voivod, the perfect band for you to play yeah. with. Yeah, because we've definitely got strains of Voivod. It's certainly there's a Voivod influence running through our music along with Killing Joke and Neurosis and the Dead Kennedys and Peni and Icons of Filth and stuff. But, um, yeah, we had no idea we would go down and it, we went down, you know, really, really great. Loads of positive, you know, words afterwards, you know. And, um, yeah, we went down far better than we thought we were going to. But we haven't, we haven't gone down badly at a gig yet, you know. Um, I think we're going to play a good, we're going to play a decent set. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it just depends whether people like it or not. But you know, we're a pretty tight band. You know, we do know what we're doing, so we we can get up there and knock it out with the best of them, and then people either like it or they don't. I mean, coming off the pandemic as well, there's a lot of 
pent up sort of energy, I would imagine, in, in all of you to want to play music. Because yeah, it's not because that it takes you're all used to playing music continually, and then the pandemic comes on, it takes two years out of that. So you have that sort of two years to make up for. Yeah, well, and the audience did as well. The first yeah. proper gig we did back, I mean, it was absolutely fucking random and the place went berserk. Like, you can imagine in Bristol, like, waiting for a punk gig for, like, two years. <laughs> <laughs> the, the shakes start to set in, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. We Actually, the Bristol gig wasn't our first gig. The first one back was Payne's wedding. And, um, <laughs> you know, and he, he was very clever, you know. He got a lot of people that he would have had to invite and he, had, he was limited to the number of guests. He was like, right, well, I'll get their bands to play so they can come anyway. Yeah. And all his mates were on the door and doing security and everything. So he got all these extra people in on top of the 50 people he was allowed to have at the wedding, you know, and, um, and he played three sets. <laughs> he played all three, <laughs> band, all three of his bands played. But I mean, just that was amazing. Yeah. stand outside that rehearsal room. I can't remember where it was we played, but it's a rehearsal room at the Valleys. And um, just to stand outside the gig, talking shit with people that you hadn't seen for months and months, it just made, it suddenly felt, I mean, it was amazing, but it felt normal as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas like, like and everything had been abnormal. And now it just seems like a, a bad dream, really. I mean, you know, go to gigs and it's, you know, your shoulder to shoulder with people and they're coughing up your nose and spitting in your mouth when they talk to you. And it's, it's, just the like... u- <laughs> it's just business as usual. Because it was like, yeah. I think the first gig I went to after, after everything was, was agnostic fun. And just, you know, being there and seeing them again, because it was like the first gig, the last gig I went to before lockdown and then the first gig I went to after lockdown. Um, right. It was Agnostic Front, was it? Same yeah, band? Yeah. Oh, OK. And it's just, you know, interviewing Roger before then, interviewing Roger after then, and you just sort of fall back into old patterns. And it's just like, it's like nothing has changed, apart from the fact that we all lost two years. And it's just gone, like, you know? Yeah, I, I, I was determined not to, to lose the time, if you know what I mean. So I yeah. wrote a book and we were writing loads of music and um i used to drive over to painters to jam in his front room you know and that you know you'd be past there was no one on the roads you know and it was you weren't allowed to travel from england into wales and stuff like that so you literally literally commando raids to write songs like down all the back roads to merthyr tidville <laughs> <laughs> well ironically I went and got a job in Merthyr Tidville. So I so worked, worked for a copywriter. And then that's all accelerated, gone in different directions. And um, and I filled my gap with putting more books out as well. So it was like, yeah, put books yeah. out and become a professional copywriter. And then like a professional digital publicist. And, you know, it's just weird. Like what the, the directions yeah. it takes you in, you know? Yeah, you, I mean, it's, I mean, the, be, the best thing to come out of it for me is working from home all the time you know because i never went back to to working in the office i just right. had on working from home in fact i'm at my sit stand desk as we speak because <laughs> <laughs> i sit on my ass all day otherwise 
It's like well, up and down, up and down every half hour. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Like remote working. I thought, am I, am I going to fit into this now? Am I going to be able to do it? And then you do. You just do. You just get on with it. It just becomes like another. Well, I've done that now. You do this yeah, and yeah. just move on. So yeah, yeah. the album's about to drop. Yeah. You're going to have to sell it to everybody now. This is the moment where you sell the band, even though you don't give us stuff if anybody likes you or they don't like you, <laughs> right? So if you're going to explain or describe yourselves to somebody when they're about to listen to your record, how would you name it? How would you describe Zero again? Oh, fucking hell. Um, with, um, with a bit of artistic license. Yeah. It's a dark, throbbing miasma of anarcho punk <laughs> and the twisted wreckage of the human psyche. <laughs> That's or how you do like it. That. That's see, yeah. you should be a professional fucking salesman. That, this yeah. is yeah. But I mean, if people ask me normally, I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of a, it's like someone Chuck Killing Joke and Peni and the DKs, you know, and Icons and Boyfriend, you know, in a blender. Um, but you know, with a conscience, that's right. the, you know that's the important thing for us. Is you know that the, that the lyrics mean something. I mean, some fucking idiot was getting on a case about us being like woke, <laughs> like and like that's, I, like thinking, that's a bad to have an empathy for your fellow human yeah. beings. The problem was a bad yeah. fucking thing, apparently. So what the fuck? You know? And I'm thinking. I've written the same kind of lyrics for 40 years. It's just idiots have now got a fucking label sticking on it. You know, it's oh. exactly the same approach. But this guy was trying to say that our song, which was the song ran into the ground, right, which is about horse racing and people just like abusing animals for yeah. pleasure and stuff like that. And I think it, there's a line in there that says it, we are a despicable species meaning that humans are a despicable species because everything we touch, we fucking ruin. Yeah. And um, this guy said, your lyrics are misogynistic. And I was like, what? And he said, women give birth to people and you're saying that people are despicable. So you're anti-women. He literally said this in an email and I'm like, you are so far off the mark it's not even funny. Like, talk about yeah. looking for something that it's isn't a, even there. Yeah. You know, and um, he said, yeah, it's just a load of woke nonsense and, and you're misogynistic to top it all off. And I was like, well, so Dean just blocked the idiot, like, because we don't have time to... Mate, but he's, talk, he's talking to the wrong fucking people if he's saying that kind of shit. You know, it's just... Yeah. You know, absolutely the wrong sort of people. Yeah, so, so I honestly don't know where he was coming from. But, you know, people... Will, I mean, you know, a lot of people did get go a bit doolally in the pandemic, didn't they? And they were just locked up with their keyboards for too long. Uh, it's weird because there's, there's almost like this thing, like people we used to know, people we know, not even like used to know, have suddenly started spouting all this alt-right bullshit and conspiracy theory crap. And it's just like, what, what the fuck? You, you would never have said anything like this before lockdown. Mm. That was never you. And then all of a sudden, they've taken this, they've veered off this, this direction it's just you know, weird yeah it's 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 unfortunate that you know as as some old punkers get older they just get more bigoted like um i, I don't get it mate i just it's just no. 
it's completely anyway. I'm not going to let you go again without one. You can talk about the subhumans book briefly because you're going to have to mention that. And two, you're going to write that horror book. Now that you've got a publisher, right? You can finally dig that old horror novel out and you can get out a publisher who will publish everything you say without having to, you know, nag him into doing so. Yeah. Mind you, I wrote, I wrote a piece of short horror fiction for your collection. If that's still happening, is it? It is still happening. It's just trying to get everything together, and that is in there as it is. So, so yes, it I is mean, happening. Like, We're just I trying to, I just that, to figure out the time for it. Like, <laughs> I found that really um, not hard. It's good it too. It was it's good too. Challenging. It's yeah, really thanks. Good. It's really I mean, it's, it was challenging to write it. I mean, it's kind of like an extended zero again lyric. <laughs> you read it. <laughs> but um, it was challenging to write that. And I don't know whether, you know, I feel like if I wrote a, a whole book of it, it would really Mate, you could, to the... Well, you the, can do it. Ring it's just a matter of getting you to do it. And we know the Subhumans book is, it's the physical copies have arrived this week. Yes, 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 yes. You're going to show it off. Here he goes. Yeah, yeah. Look, look at the size of it. Look, it's like a house brick. It's like a fucking house brick, mate. Listen to those lovely pages. Yeah, yeah. Six, six hundred pages, and I mean, I'm stoked. Really, really stoked with it. Um, I never say that word, stoked. I'm psyched. (laughs) I'm really excited. So um, you've become an honorary California, mate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but you know it was, you know they're one of my favourite bands ever, yeah. and you know I was kind of um and ah in about even you know I was scared to ask him really because Dick is so literate. I thought he'll just write his own book. You know why would he need someone like me to write a book about subhumans? He'll just write it himself. Turns out that he's too busy anyway, and he's also too modest. To, to write a book about his own man so you know I was so I was you know I was up like a rat up a drain pipe like when he said oh maybe we maybe we'll do it like um but it yeah it's just brilliant it was just like the best two years sort of research and writing on a book because it was just a, a pleasure to do it you know and then, and then, it's a pleasure it doesn't feel like work does it no and then the next band you gonna write a book about is well, I'm doing a book on really obscure UK punk bands that only did. So it's back to the eighties again. Yeah. And it's bands that only did demos or compilation LPs. So nice. there were probably a couple of hundred bands that I could have put in my first few books, but I didn't have room. So now it's like, right, let's go back and fill in some gaps and really round out that historical document with bands that like only did a demo or only self-released an EP and stuff like that. So I'm going to do that. And then, you know, there's a few other bits I'm thinking about, but I don't, I don't want to jinx them. I don't like to think too far ahead anyway. Right. Well, on that note, I'm going to leave you go. So cheers, mate. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, brother. I'll see you, I'll see you soon. And can't wait to hear that record, mate. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll email you side A and side B, the whole thing, you, straight you after. Nice one. Ian, right, always a pleasure, mate. Ta-da, buddy. See you later. Ta-da. Bye. Bye.
So that was Israel Joseph I and Ian Glasper from Zero again. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening to what they had to say, and we'll catch you. See, we'll see you next time, folks. So for now, uh, ta ta.